From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Milady is in the house ready to go. If you'd like to be part of the program, we would love to have you. Simply pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you are outside of the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one. 1- Two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Charles Beery is our celebrity producer today. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And your host, as he is every Thursday, Father Brian Milady, how are you? Well, I've been better. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a electrolyte attack at Chris College yesterday, and that's why I was off the beam today, so... Uh, but I'm here. I hit class this morning, so. Well, there you go. Anyway. So what uh, are you going to pontificate mm-hmm. on today, Father? Well, I thought we'd talk about Maria Goretti. That's um, a great, great subject for our day and time. For any day yeah, and time, but especially our day and time. Yes, I think so, too. Um, Maria Goretti, as you know, is a little girl who lived in Italy about 1900. And... Um, her, her father died when she was very young, and um, she and her family were forced to go live with another family, and there was a boy in the other family, Alessandro, and he lusted after her when she became a teenager. Now, when she had made her first communion, which in those days was about 12, she had stated flatly, I never want to commit a sin. So he kept trying to get her to have relations with him, and she kept refusing him. So finally, he was so filled with lust that he stole away from the group when they were out in the fields. Maria Gretti was home babysitting the children, and he accosted her, and she refused him. And with an iron stake, he savagely stabbed her 14 times. Now, For most people, they would be experiencing an anger that was, uh, I would say, uh, sometimes uh, over the top, and you can understand why, in experiencing such a thing. However, in Marie Gretti's case, she kept saying, Alessandro, don't do this. It's a sin, and I want you to live with me in heaven. Well, the crime, the murder, was very notorious in Italy. And Alessandro went to prison, and he refused all consolation of religion. 
until he had a vision of Maria Goretti dressed in white with 14 lilies saying she forgave him. He began to practice his faith and years later he was released from jail and he went to the rectory where Maria Goretti was buried in the parish. And when he knocked on the door, it was Christmas Eve and it was Margaret's mother who was the housekeeper. And in tears, he knelt down and said, please forgive me for what I did to your daughter. And she responded, as we hope to be forgiven before God, if my daughter forgives you, I forgive you. And that night, they both received communion in the shadow of her tomb. And he testified, though he was not present at her canonization as a saint, a martyr, really, to chastity. And uh, before he died, he joined a Capuchin friary. He became a Franciscan, or entered a Franciscan friary. Because of his past, they would not allow him to be a full member to take vows. But he spent his life basically working in the garden things. And a journalist came to interview him and said, do you despair of your salvation because of what you did to that girl? And Alessandra responded, but for her prayers and for her forgiveness, I would despair of my salvation. Now, all of this goes to show the power of forgiveness and also the Christian attitude that even though anger is not a sin such, and especially anger in such a case as that, the ability to deal with anger, well, you can't change something by uh, forgiving the person involved is a Christian response. And that's probably why our Lord placed at the end of the Lord's Prayer Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because he knew as the divine physician that we'd all find ourselves in moments where we couldn't forgive. Or where we had these terrible things happen to us. People betray us. They lie about us. They seek to destroy our reputation. And sometimes it reaches the point of murder that this is what it means or demonstrates to experience a anger which is virtuous. So on the Feast of Maria Ready, each of us needs to look into our own lives and see those places where we needed forgiveness too. And as we are forgiven, or we hope to forgive, be forgiven, we need to also exercise our Lord's uh, forgiveness when he forgave his attackers from the cross. You know, Father, it's it's uh, this is a, obviously a, a captivating story. And, the uh, you know, it's hard for us sometimes to imagine that we could possibly have the capacity to uh, to do what this young lady did in that situation. But when we look at the situations that we face where we've been wronged, um, you know, it, it really is forgiveness is uh, is liberating. And when we hold on to grudges and past hurts, 
you know, we are the ones that end up becoming the prisoner of it, huh? Because we wish to be set free from all these things that we uh, exercise forgiveness ourselves. And who of us, who of us exists that doesn't need to be forgiven? Teresa of Avila, now, of course, her, her case wasn't as extreme as um, Maria Goretti's. But Teresa of Avila's had what she called the virtue of silence. And when people would criticize her or they'd speak a fault about her um, that she felt she wasn't guilty of, she never answered back. And the reason is because she felt that she was guilty of much worse faults. And she was glad nobody knew about those. <laughs> so she was perfectly happy to be corrected for things that were more trivial. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you are outside of the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Wide open phone lines for you. If you would rather, we would love to uh, read your email on the air. If you want to send us an email, that email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline, all one word at EWTN.com. Father Brian Malady is in the house on this EWTN Open Line Thursday. Pick up the phone and give us a call to be part of the program. The number again, it's toll-free, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada, and we've got wide open phone lines for you on this Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. I want to encourage you to visit EWTN's site dedicated to our foundress, Mother Angelica, where you can celebrate her remarkable life. It's filled with photos, milestones, heartfelt stories, and her wit and words that have inspired the hearts of all ages throughout the years. Visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica today. Three open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 
3986. To the phones we go. First up today is Barbara. She is a first-time caller in the great state of Georgia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Barbara, you are on with Father Brian Malady. Oh, do I have to repeat my question? Okay. Yeah, you're on the air now, Barbara, so go right ahead. Hi, Father Brian. I am literally en route to a hospital for to see a young lady. She's in her young 30s. She's dying. She has a brain cancer tumor. Um, I know that she's a Christian, but my question is, is it against, I don't want to say against the law, or against the rules for me to call a Catholic priest if, it's, if they wouldn't mind to just give her a blessing or the sacrament of the sick. I know well, she wouldn't sacra- qualify. Well, if she's not a Catholic, the sacraments won't, won't do it. Um, you have to be baptized to receive a sacrament, and, you know, Catholic. As far as uh, a blessing, of course, you can do that. Normally speaking, though, if a person checks in, they state what their religion is, and the hospital will call. But you, you, you can ask. And also, uh, but, but it would have to, she'd have to be a Catholic in order to receive the sacrament of the sick, because that involves the forgiveness of sins, too. Um, but uh, regarding a blessing, anybody can bless people, so, yeah. Does that help at all, Barbara? Yeah, so if she's a Methodist, basically, it wouldn't. No, it, it can't. Well, you can't do the sacrament of the sick. She, the Catholic priest could come if he wanted, was willing to, to bless her. Yeah. God bless you, Barbara. Thank you so much for uh, being available to this uh, woman during her time of need. We'll keep both of you in yes. our prayers. EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Andy in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on WSFI Radio. Andy, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hey, Father. What is hell? What is hell? (laughs) Hell is a condition in which a person dies having committed a deed unrepentant, which is contrary to the, deeply contrary to the love of God. And the person, uh, even if they were off, if they refused to repent, then they're, in a sense, their choice is the same as Satan's, which is self, or God. This would be a person who dies without giving up their self in, against the law of God. And so in hell, the primary punishment is freedom, our moral freedom, and our nature, which is oriented to God himself, eternally disagree. God ratifies that choice by judgment but he doesn't send a person to hell. The person themselves, in a sense, sends themselves to hell because they refuse to repent. But make no mistake, there's nothing worse, right? No, of course, because the deepest longing of our nature is to know God as God knows himself. 
which grace helps us to prepare for here on earth, but after death demands that we be in the state of grace or the love of God in order for us to experience that. Hell is where we will never experience it and that by our own choice. So we're eternally frustrated in the deepest part of our nature. Thanks, Andy. We appreciate the call today. This opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Lee, another first-time caller in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lee, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Thank you, Father Brian. Uh, I'd like to ask a question. Uh, I lost a 18-year-old son uh, a little over four years ago, and naturally that's been uh, a struggle for my family. Uh, But I see signs, and I don't know if I'm losing my mind or my wife sees the same thing, but we see these ladybugs. I'm a 55-year-old man, I can tell you how many ladybugs I've seen in my life, but since my son passed, I seem to see these ladybugs at a time when I need them the most. And I'll give you a recent example of that. This Father's Day, I'm going to leave my house to ride my motorcycle just to clear my mind of another holiday without my son. And of all places, there's a ladybug sitting on the gas tank of my motorcycle. And I go you can't make this stuff up. So am I going crazy or, or do are, are we able to get signs uh, from our loved ones? Yes, I think you can get vibes. I don't think ladybugs are a part of it. Um, I would not consider that to be anything really. It's just a coincidence. So, however, if it helps you to think of your son, then I'm, I'm glad that it does that. And uh, also to appreciate missing him and trying your best to deal with the death and also to have some sense that he's still uh, with it. Well, he is still with us, actually. But I don't think ladybugs are the, the, the means. I, I, would not, I would discount that, yes. God bless you, Lee. We'll keep you uh, and your family in our prayers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Grab one of these open phone lines uh, for Father Brian Milady. Diane writes in, what is the Catholic Church's belief regarding the rapture? Is it the same as the Protestant belief? No. And I don't think the Protestants generally have a belief regarding the rapture either. It's only a certain sect, sect that does. Uh, some of the uh, hosts on the radio who are Protestant converts may know more about this than I do. But the rapture is, as I understand it, is you sort of have an extra time, to, so to speak, apart from this earth in order to make up your mind about salvation, and then you will return again. And the people who don't believe, they don't get that extra time. Well, I'm afraid, as far as I can tell, this has absolutely nothing to do with the scriptures. And you know, the person who 
formulated this, I believe, and I, I don't know the name, I'm sorry. But uh, he basically maintained that uh, the uh, rapture would occur on a certain day. It was an early American sect. And it didn't occur that day. So then they decided it would, you really didn't know, but it was going to come, that sort of thing. Uh, Protestants are, are, it's true, always interested in the book of Revelation and when the day or the hour is. Uh, our Lord was rather specific about the fact that we shouldn't care about that. And I don't think you get a second chance either. And uh, you know, everybody just doesn't disappear from Earth. It's good. And then during the there's a time of tribulation, and then everybody sort of reappears on Earth. That's good, having survived the time of tribulation. So, and I, I would be willing to bet you that this really is a particular sect, and it's an early American sect too. Uh, I doubt that Luther or Calvin or any of those people would have much to do with the rapture either. So, yeah, I think really it was. Uh, I think what you, your description is is pretty much spot on. The gentleman's name was John Nelson Darby, uh, and this was the uh, the late 19th century. He was part of a group known as the Plymouth Brethren, and I think that's really where the the whole notion of it all was first conceived. Right. So it's 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 not even a Protestant notion. It's not a Christian notion, really. Uh, Terry would like to know, why do some evangelical Protestants insist on a 6,000-year-old or so Earth? Well, because they're trying to judge the Earth literally by calculating the years based on what the Bible says about the age of various people. And uh, we don't believe that, well... I've always stated this. Some people have disagreed with me about this, but no serious Catholic scholar thinks that the book of Genesis is about a particular time period, like a week, for instance, of creation. Because for one thing, the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. So it can't be that sort of time. What Genesis is seeking to teach is that we believe in a personal being who created from nothing time, which would be represented by the weakest, the perfect uh, unit of time, and all space, and then also all life, and, and the things that exist. And that's represented by the various days of creation. And, uh, and it's a very tightly metaphysical account. It's, it's not an attempt is again teach uh, physical science and yet some people they wanted to make it more they thought it was more objective if it actually involves specific units of time you could measure and therefore more scientific well it is scientific but it's scientific in a metaphysical sense and metaphysics is a science so Straight ahead, we'll talk to Tony in Edmond, Oklahoma, and we've got a couple of open phone lines for you as well. Just pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 
3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Dominican father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3987. Excuse me, 2985. Uh, As advertised, next up is Tony, a first-time caller in Edmond, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Tony, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Milady. Hey, good afternoon, and thanks for having me. Hey, Father, I have a question about the second judgment on how one fits into that entire judgment. Uh, I know the first judgment is on the individual, uh, but the group judgment, is it the the planet or the world or or what? And I'll go ahead and release the call for other callers. Okay, well, it's before the entire assembled creation. And... Our Lord, as you know, says nothing is hidden that will not be brought to light. So all of us has personal judgments, but nobody else knows about it. But in the second coming, when we receive our bodies back, um, the whole assembled creation knows both your wickedness and your goodness. And it's pronounced by our Lord. Now, the goodness... Uh, adds to the the good uh, because people know about their good deeds. And conversion can even add to the glory of God in that. But with wickedness, people have done hidden wickedness. It adds to their suffering that the whole creation knows about it. And the, uh, interestingly, the judgment is made in Matthew 25 on the principle of works. You know, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink, things like that. And I have a friend, he's a very good guy. He's a, uh, but he's an evangelical. And uh, I asked him about this and I said, you know, you don't believe in works. How come the judgment's made on the basis of works? And he says, oh, well, that text isn't for Christians. That's for pagans. I said, really? Where do you read that in the Bible? And he says, well, it's the white throne of judgment. Christians have the white throne of judgment. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe in Jesus as your personal Savior and you'll be saved. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I find that rather strange, uh, this white throne of judgment thing. I think I didn't see one reference to it in the New Testament in the apocalypse, maybe. But... uh, it doesn't make much sense to me, whereas the fact that you love God internally, yes, that's, of course, what you're judged by. But your your um, love for God is shown inwardly by how much you cooperate in loving your neighbor. And, of course, that does involve works at a certain point along the line. 
Now, of course, the works that the reformers condemned were mostly sacraments. These are moral works. And I, I do not believe any self-respecting Protestant would maintain that we don't have to do good works. But the question is, is it logical based on the theory that uh, all you need to do is accept Jesus as your savior and you'll be saved? Well, it, as far as I can tell, it isn't. So what happens is what you've done on earth becomes known to everyone and the very knowledge of it, you know, most people are ashamed of their evil, so they hide it. The very knowledge of it adds to the suffering of the wicked. And then many people have done good, but others don't recognize it. That goes to the glory of God as seen in the elect. Thanks so much, Tony. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. John is on Long Island in New York listening on Veritas Radio. John, you're on with Father Milady. Oh, thank you, Father, for taking my call. Um, my question is, I was watching on uh, on uh, one of the, I guess, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but Amazon Prime, whatever, um, it was called The Days of Noah, and it was a four-part documentary series, and um, it was very good, the first the first couple. And, and then they, I don't know, then, then it started getting a little uh, too much for me, but... Uh, and anyway, the, the point I'm making is that they did bring out a bunch of good points that I found very interesting. And but one of them is they said that um, that the church changed the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday at some point. Um, I don't know if it was the Middle Ages or what, but is is that true? And and if it is, do you know why? Well, it wasn't the Middle Ages; it was the early church. And yes, they did change it. And the reason is because the Sabbath day in Judaism is, of course, Saturday. And um, so when our Lord rose from the dead, that became the eternal Sabbath, you could say. So they moved the observance commanded in Exodus to keeping hold of the Lord's day. They moved the Lord's day to the day of resurrection, away from Saturday to Sunday. According to the scripture, he rose again on the third day. But that was right in the early church. Thank you, John. We appreciate the call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Um, here's a, a rather common question that we all struggle with from time to time from Kathy. And she says, hello, Father. If we are praying, for example, the rosary, and after a time realize we do not remember thinking of the mystery, should we start over or should we continue on and try to refocus on the prayer? Thank you. Okay, well, that's easy to answer, especially for a Dominican. Because, um, <laughs> you know, our devotion is the rosary. Um the mysteries are meant, like any prayer, the mysteries are meant to be aids to meditation. Um, the prayer is so short, really, relatively speaking, 
because every Christian has to think about the Christian mysteries every day. And also it's a prayer that is open-ended in the sense that you can do it almost anywhere. Um, you, you don't have to be in church to do it. So as long as a person is experiencing a communion with God, which is what the whole purpose of prayer is, uh, Teresa Bible used to describe it as a loving conversation among friends. The classic definition is the elevation of the mind and heart to God and uh, requesting of good things from him. As long as we're doing that, we're achieving whatever prayer asks of us. And so, no, you do not need to start it over. You don't have to think about slavishly. Uh, every time you say the Hail Mary, you don't have to be concentrating on the Hail Mary slavishly. It's rather um, an attempt to give you a means on many different levels in which you can experience the mysteries of our religion in a personal sense. And that's what the purpose is. As long as you can do that, then you're doing why Our Lady recommended it to us. 833-288-EWTN is our uh, toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's an interesting question I hadn't considered uh, before. Phil says, I know we are initially justified by grace, but I also know we can lose our justification, which is why we need confession. Does that mean we are re-justified? I would say yes, uh, because uh, justification is operating grace. And it's where God moves the soul, and the soul is moved, but the soul isn't moving anything. And to the extent that you sin and lose grace, you've lost the, uh, well, the initial experience. Um, coupled with this is the fact that we also have what's called uh, cooperating grace, where God just doesn't work in the soul, but God works with the soul. It's that where we merit. And merit's different than justification. Uh, because we can merit on different levels, you know, some people do great works, some not so great loving, love-wise. Uh, some people um, have more merit than others. Another way to put this is, in my house there are many mansions. They're not all exactly the same. And, of course, you know, we also believe in a hierarchy of heaven. So there will not be no one in heaven who merits more than Mary because she was God's mother. And you sort of go down the list. In fact, the missile is arranged by the so-called meritorious vocations. So you have the, uh, you know, the apostles, you have the martyrs, you have the confessors, you have the virgins. Uh, anyway, it's it's a it's a, a question of a merit. It is a question of a meritocracy, but we don't merit by ourselves. 
we only merit because the Holy Spirit is supporting us in this action. And therefore, the way I always like to put it is in every meritorious where it takes two to work, God and me. God rewards my work in warring himself, which is by strict merit. But I just reward my work uh, uh, in a, um, it's not strict, it's um, proportionate. So I do what I'm able to do. And to the extent that I do it lovingly, then I receive a, well, we, we would call it a higher place in heaven. But what it just means is I'm able to appreciate the God who reveals himself to me more because I've loved more. So in Catholicism, uh, the principle of merit isn't how difficult a work is. Some people think it is. The better it hurts, the better it is. No, that's not true. It's the more loving. So at the end of our lives, as Teresa says, we'll be judged on love. So justification is the source of that whole process. And we don't lose justification in the sense that we return to being the condition of the original sin. But we lose justification in the sense that the actual active power of uh, beyond the New Testament is compromised. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next stop for us is the great state of Wyoming. Adam is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Adam, you are on with Father Milady. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question is about uh, adopted embryos who uh, were created through the IVF process uh by other uh, folks, but adopted by a family, um, and assuming there is in the Catholic Church, what is the status in the Catholic in the Church's view of those children? Put your bioethics zucchetta on, Father. Well, uh, this is a debated question, but as far as my understanding is, the Vatican has maintained that you can't implant an embryo in a woman just to give the embryo a name, let's say, or life or whatever. So they we remain uh, in, well, it's on a state of limbo until some solution is found to this dilemma, which was created by us biologically. Now, there are people are very powerfully in favor of adopting embryos. But I, my understanding is of the church's teaching is that that is not possible because you know, you're basically conceiving a child out of the act of conception. And it would be the same with, you know, with the implanted embryo. We don't believe in in vitro fertilization, period. So um, I know it seems cruel to say, and maybe someday there'll be another solution. But that's my understanding anyway. Now, I kind of could be corrected about that. But I had a, number, a couple of people in one place I was in was very interested in this. And I did some research on it, and I believe that's the moment, at the moment, that's the sense of the Vatican. 
Um, John is in the great state of Maryland. He's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, you're on with Father Brian Milady. How you doing, Father? You you were talking about uh, Maria Goretti and, and the forgiveness that she was able to display as, you know, an inspiration to all of us. Uh, what is your advice when when you are when you have family members that absolutely refuse to forgive, and uh, especially when you acted in good faith and and you did the best that you could to deal with certain situations, and you're estranged from those people because they just refuse to forgive. Yeah. Well, when you ask for forgiveness, you've done your part. You can't control how the other person responds, and you shouldn't, because that's an attempt to control people also. So I don't ask for forgiveness so someone else will forgive me. I ask for forgiveness because I did something wrong. If they're willing to forgive me, that's fine. That's beautiful. But if they're not, it doesn't matter. I still recognize I did something wrong, and so I ask them to forgive me. So the the answer is that you basically have to let it go. Does that help, John? Okay. All right, thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Carmine writes in, Christ says in Matthew's Gospel that if we call someone a fool, we are doomed. If we think about it, but don't say it, is it still the same sin? Well, I'm afraid that sin is a thought. Whether you say it or not, it's not the issue. Um, I think those things, those texts have to be interpreted in a Semitic way. And, uh, you know, the Jews, in the way they could uh, uh, express themselves, even in their own language, has a slightly different meaning than us. For example, Jesus is supposed to hate our mother and father, are we? Well, the word there means prefer to, not to hate, literally. So we're not supposed to prefer our parents to um, God. And of course, the classic example of that is if you feel you have a vocation, your parents are against it. Um, regarding the fool business, I'm not sure of the context there. But I, I don't, I think what our Lord's talking about is contempt for another person. And so we're not supposed to show contempt to another person, even to the extent of uh, name calling that is uh, uh, insulting. Uh, be sure to join us tonight for Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It's two full hours of Open Forum Q&A with Joe Heschmeyer, staff apologist at Catholic Answers. That's Catholic Answers Live tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Wendy wonders, would Mary's sinlessness have kept her from growing in wisdom? Well, no. <laughs> if you mean about sin, she, she knew about sin intellectually, but not morally. Otherwise, she, remember, religion is primarily about growing in God's knowledge, not sin. Uh, and the fact is, we do have sin, and it helps us to understand our redemption. 
but she can certainly grow in wisdom by noticing the way her son acts every day and what he does and, and those kinds of things. And uh, Pete writes in, what is the difference between confidence and pride? Well, pride is where you think you can do it yourself without God's help. Confidence is a matter of hope in which you hope for God's help and that he will not abandon you, um, but you don't presume on it. A prideful person would presume on it that they're calling the shots, really. It just happens to be God who's carrying them out in a way. Women, those are making use of God. God can't be an object of use. He can only be a subject of love. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. We can still squeeze in your call at 833-288-3986. How can I respond, Chris asks, to relativists who say I am pushing religion by saying objective morality is from God? Well, the question is, why are we here? And what does reason teach us examining our souls and our actions of our souls and our tendency to virtue concerning uh, those kinds of actions which are necessary to fulfill us? Now, you're pushing religion only in the sense that uh, religion, especially Judeo-Christian Christianity, tells us the total truth about this. Others have come to some truths about it. Aristotle comes to mind, but not the total truth. And so religion is necessary in order to know the total truth because we're called to see God. But otherwise, um, we can know that many things are objectively good or objectively evil without even having a religion, but not be an atheist who says there's no natures to things. Uh, the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, the existentialist who was basically an atheist, maintained that there was no God because there were no essences for God to create. So uh, in, in order to see that there are natures that are objective, you have to think about intelligent design. And that does involve some judgments about religion, too. But you're only pushing those in the sense that you're asking a person to see what um, truth helps us to know from examining the world created by God. Um. William writes in, why do we not hear about Acts chapter 19, verse 18, which says many of those who had become believers came forward and openly acknowledged their former practices when discussing the sacrament of reconciliation? Is the verse relevant? Uh, If you mean publicly, um, originally in the early church, they did practice public confession. Um, In fact, you had to have your... The public uh, uh, forgiveness had to be done by the church, somewhat in the way in which we do excommunication now. But as time went on, as the sacrament of penance became more, um, well, 
more common and also many more people in the church, then the sacrament of penance, of course, is looked upon as being very secret. We even have a confessional secret about it. And so you shouldn't be telling people all the time about your evil. And uh, Patrick sends us an email, and he says, Why is the sin of hatred so dangerous? <laughs> well, hatred is the opposite of love. And so if you're sinning against hatred, with hatred, you're uh, sinning against the primary emotion, first of all, but then also the primary motivation that should motivate us to good. And uh, finally tonight, or this afternoon, Andy writes in, what is the sin that cannot be forgiven? What is this sin against the Holy Spirit? Look, when you don't believe in God, you committed sin against the Father. When you don't believe in Christ, you committed the sin against the Son. And when you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, you commit a sin against the Holy Spirit. So the, the reason is, and it's stated to be unforgivable, not because God can't forgive the sin, but because since the person doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit, they're not open to the means they must take in order to be forgiven. Well, that brings us to the end of another Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Mullady, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until then, God bless.